Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. Hi, Annie. Hi, Walt. Annie, it is, dare I say, aggressively seasonal in the Crossover Appeal yeah, studios yes, right now. <laughs> because the Crossover Appeal studio is our dining room, and our dining room is the only place where we can put a Christmas tree. It's Christmas Central. And we got the biggest Christmas tree we possibly could. I mean, the good news is we discovered the exact height of our ceilings. Yep. <laughs> What, seven and a half feet seven tall. Seven and a half feet, exactly. Yep. Because it fits. But, Good job, uh, us. Yeah, but yeah, this tree is our, our special guest star yep. in this episode. For the next couple episodes, I think. Yeah, so I mean, for the tree's benefit, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two uh, pieces of narrative media, book, mm-hmm. movie, TV show, web series, radio series. Christmas sure. Carol. Yeah, why not? Sure. Um, if you can tell a story, you're you're part of a fandom. What is the deal with those maids of milking? Who would they kiss? Oh wow, somebody's done that. There's don't Google that. Yeah, no, do not Google that. Yeah, no, you, you just at least not while you're at work, especially. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we take two fandoms, squash them together, and um, wrap them like so. They're twisty like a like a candy cane. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. this is not even our Christmas episode. No, it's not, guys. this is just the primer for yeah. the Christmas episode. It's just because we're sitting like on top of a Christmas right. tree. I find myself compelled to discuss Christmas. <laughs> yeah. This tree may have mind control powers. Yep, that's. I mean, you know, that's. Oh, I actually was talking to people at work today about the Christmas horror genre. Oh yeah, that's a which good is one. a big genre. Yeah, it's very rich. Yeah, and I was telling them that because I don't really watch horror movies because I'm scared of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have never seen one, but I have read a lot of summaries because I'm interested in what happens, Absolutely. but I'm never going to watch it. Oh, yeah. I feel like we could feasibly do a whole run of crossover appeal episodes about horror movies based on the Wikipedia summaries yeah, that oh. we both read because we're terrified of them. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're much better. You've seen real horror movies. I have, but mm-hmm. I definitely read more Wikipedia summaries than I watch horror movies. Yeah. Because I'm curious. Oh, yeah. Me too. I'm like, I would like to see that one you saw about the It Follows. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, I'll never see that. But it sure does sound interesting. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, it was indeed interesting and horrifying. Yeah. And kept me very terrified on my walks home for weeks. I bet. But, Annie, what are the two properties that we are going to provide the even better than a Wikipedia summary yes. for? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so tonight we are mashing up a uh, East of Eden and Back to the Future. Just best friends already. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll have a lot to talk about. I think so too. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't we help uh, reveal our excitement by you telling me a little bit about a little bit about East of Eden? East of Eden is a novel by Nobel Prize winning American writer John Steinbeck. Fancy pants. I know, right? It's a reimagining of the Book of Genesis set largely in the Salinas Valley in California. And excuse me if I'm mispronouncing. Um, Salinas Valley. It's Salinas. I know, right? I was like, I think it's Salinas. Right? If you like the salty valley. Yep. Mm. <laughs> Delicious. Salinas. <laughs> Salinas. You know, it's Salinas Valley. Yeah. Anyway, it's in California um, during the late 1800s and early 1900s. It was first published in 1952 and was a hugely popular novel, um, like major bestseller, but received mixed reviews from critics. Really? Yeah, I was surprised about that. Man, critics, get your act together. Yeah, right? So yeah, this one was a, was a fan favorite. All right. Um, in or 1955, Elia Kazan um, directed a film adaptation starring 1950s Swoonfest James Dean in his big breakout role. Um, so well done, James Dean. Absolutely. Heartthrob of my 16-year-old-ish years. Really? Oh, I was a big James you Dean. You were a Dino? I'm a, I was a Deaniac. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're dead, but I love you. Oh, my gosh. You're well, that so just makes it more swoony. tragic, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because you will never live to do things real terrible. Right, or be threatening in it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I was big into non-threatening guys. Mm-hmm. I was like, I had so no, no human crushes. Boy. 
Um, I think I liked Nick because he looked like the youngest. Uh, Everyone yeah. else looked like they were like old, but I was yeah, like 13 years were, old. Yeah, like 40. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, James Dean, thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Um, so East of Eden follows the Trask family who um, owns a, they own a successful farm in California. Cool. Adam, the Trask patriarch, was bullied by his younger brother as a child and left home to wander the country until settling in the Salinas Valley and buying a farm with his inheritance. Yes. Or maybe money that his brother got in nefarious ways. There's money involved. There's money. He got it. He Now he's got a farm. Don't it's ask awesome. questions. You got farm money. Exactly. Got to buy the farm. <laughs> That's not walking around yeah. money. Oh, I like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Adam marries Kathy Ames, one of the greatest sociopaths in all of literature. Yeah, I remember you telling me about her when you were reading. Yeah, like, I was you like were super excited. I was about so excited because, like, she's a kid and she murders her parents by burning their house down. She's for real, like yeah. murder crazy banana pants. Um, so Kathy's not really down for marriage or family life, but she needs a place and some money. So she settles down briefly, um, having twin boys and then shooting Adam in the shoulder and taking off. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's, she's not like she even leaves in the middle of the night. She's like, I'm, I'm just going to shoot you. Yeah. FYI. And he's like, I have no idea what's going on. Enjoy the twins. Sucker. Right. Um, so Adam's depressed, but with the help of his Cantonese cook, Lee, and his Irish neighbor, Samuel, he manages to raise his children into young adulthood. Um, Kathy, meanwhile, starts working in the local successful brothel. So she doesn't even go very far. No, she doesn't. She's just like, I see a business. I can take that. She's like, bang, bang, mm-hmm. driving two blocks down the yeah, road. Yeah, right. Screech. <laughs> now it's mine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just turns into the next driveway. Exactly. <laughs> um, she gets in close with a woman who owns the brothel, murders her, and takes over the establishment. Jeez, this woman works Make, fast. Yeah, right. Making the ultimate in sadistic kink factory outlet. So she's like, we're going to make a few changes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she is. She's like, we're going to make a few changes. It's going to be real freaky. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Woman knows what she wants. Yeah, right. And she keeps a stash of photographs as blackmail for the important men in town. Oh, good. So So she's able to diversify her portfolio. Exactly. She's got like a real scheme going on. Mm -hmm. Respect, lady. Yeah. Um, So Adam and Kathy's sons grow up not knowing anything about their mother. They assume she died. Um, Aaron's the good boy. Cal's the bad boy. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) So Aaron's the Nick and Cal's the... Nick? Joey? What? I'm back on Backstreet Boys. I don't know why. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who's... Oh, it's a Joey Fatone. Is yeah. he a Backstreet Boy? Was he, was he the one in my Big Fat Greek wedding? Probably. <laughs> sure. The, one of them was he in there. Greek. Oh no, maybe that was a that might have been an in sinker. Oh. <laughs> sinker swim. Sinker swim. That's what it is. That was the title of their their last uh, <laughs> album without Justin Timberlake. Oh no! And the world gave a resounding answer. Exactly. <laughs> um. So while Aaron is going to school to become an Episcopal priest, Cal finds out that his mother is actually alive and she's running the brothel, um, having renamed herself Kate um, Albee. I guess because she probably got tired of people making a this kitty got claws joke because her name was Kat. So she was like, I'm done with this now. Oh, well, well Kathy. Yeah. Sure. That joke didn't go anywhere. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's no in-sync or swim. That's, so. that's, uh, that sank for sure. No. Um, so Cal um, is, you know, real upset about his mom, but he tries to win his father's favor by making back the family fortune after his dad loses it on a bad business idea. Cal ends up selling beans from the Salinas Valley to war-ravaged Europe in World War I, um, and he makes a ton of money, but his father is not impressed by how Cal has made his money. He's like, you can't, it's not impressive to sell beans to Europeans. <laughs> Everybody knows they love beans. Uh, Where's well, the challenge? Because, well, no, they, they are in, war, in the war and like the land is terrible and they have nothing. And so no. he's making a ton of money off of people who are like living in a war ravaged area. Oh, yeah, I guess that's, I yeah, guess that's, that's worse than just <laughs> that, knowing that, European that just, people like it's beans. It's easy to, li- to have beans. <laughs> Where's the challenge, Cal? Um, and he's also like, he's using, you, you know, the farmers in the area and he's making a ton of money oh, okay. reselling their beans elsewhere. All right. I, I so think you get more of a picture. I mean, it's it's real Slytherin. Like, yeah. dude's getting it. 
Um, but his father is not impressed. Um, he says that Cal should be more like Aaron and do something that makes him proud, even if it's not financially viable. Um, so Cal, you know, is feeling the sibling rivalry mm-hmm. in his anger and, fr- and frustration, takes Aaron to see their mother. Um, Aaron, who's this little soft cinnamon roll, is horrified. Oh, poor Aaron, little priest boy. Uh, I know. Aaron runs off to wo- World War One, where oh he died. Yeah, he, where he dies in battle. Like, it's like Big Bang Bong. I like to think that it's co- it's continuous action. He like sees the mom and he's like, no, and he just runs out the door, hops in the car, drives to the East Coast, gets on a boat, gets off in Europe and is shot immediately. Yep. That's that's how it happens. Yeah. While, um, while Benny Hill plays in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Kitty Sacks. Yeah. <laughs> you can just you can tell that this is a classic novel by the Benny Hill theme yep. song. John Steinbeck, you know he was revolutionary in his time. Critics didn't didn't buy it, but the but public knew. They knew. They're like, I love that this record comes with this novel. It tells we, me to play it at certain points. We know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um so meanwhile, Cal takes up with Aaron's former girlfriend, Abra, who's a character throughout, but mm. you know, this is a short summary. This is her thing that she gets to do. Yeah, and she's well, she, you know, there are conversations and yeah, things. Oh yeah. Um Adam uh, has a stress-induced stroke, um, I know, but on his deathbed, Lee convinces Adam to forgive Cal and so that Cal can move on with his life. Oh, good. Does Cal Cal seek forgiveness? Yeah, I think so. He he feels bad. He feels bad. Yeah, he feels bad. He's conflicted and like this will be kind of um, something I talk about in the themes, but like um, the power of like choice against Mm. kind of fate is a big theme here. And so... Um, kind of this last moment with with Adam is is a way to acknowledge that Cal can like can he doesn't have to be beholden to his parents basically yeah, he's released from he is the, released the lineage. From, exactly cool um so for characters we have the Trask family Adam who's an idealist farmer who makes bad choices um Kathy slash Kate the sociopathic madam who makes morally bad choices but awesome choices yeah I mean hey girl's getting it done mm-hmm. she knows how to run things exactly and and burn her house down <laughs> and shoot people in the shoulder yeah right only ever the shoulder although I guess she kills the madam too so yeah well poison oh wow yeah um there's Aaron the good son Cal the bad boy uh, Charles, Adam's brother, with whom Kathy sleeps. Um, so oh, maybe the twins are his. All right. Yeah, right? Because she can make real good choices. Yeah, seriously. Um, there's Samuel Hamilton, neighbor and friend of the Trasks. Samuel uh, Lander Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. His, name, I Sam, his full name is probably Samuel Lander. Lander, yeah. Sam, Samuel Anders, Anderson. Oh, I, just, <laughs> I was just picturing one long, one single name. Yeah. Samuel oh. Lander. <laughs> yep. Because his parents saw Salamander, but they got confused. And man, I'm really batting a thousand That's on the okay. jokes today. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's okay. We'll hit one. I'm in the thrall of the tree. That's it's the true. Problem. Um, there's Will Will Hamilton, who's Samuel's son, and is really good at business. And Cal ends up going into business with him. Uh, there are a bunch of other Hamiltons, but like they're not as memorable. Yeah. The Trasks are who you're here for. I should have saved the Alexander Hamilton joke for that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there'll be another episode with more Hamiltons. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yep. <laughs> Um, well, you could talk about time travel in your section. That's so true. So there we go. Maybe maybe the Hamilton will, joke will come back then. Oh, it will land better. So. <laughs> um, there's Lee, the Trask family's cook and housekeeper. Um, there's some old-timey racism here. But Lee is is a actually like a thoughtful person and a stabilizing figure in the Trask household. Yeah, it's more that like <laughs> authors at that time didn't like know how to talk about characters of different ethnicities. Yeah, it was horrible and offensive. Yeah. But are like still. Yeah, it's like, you know, your people. dialogue is real old timey racism y. Yeah. But like your Lee is like a really good person and like a like a, a an excellent figure in the Trask household and sure. like is thoughtful and like they have philosophical discussions and cool. you know, so it's still like a nineteen fifties book, yeah. but he was trying his best. Yeah, he could be worse. Mm-hmm. Um and there's uh Abra, the daughter of the a corrupt politician in town but she's a good person and she first falls for aaron before starting a relationship with cal nice um so as for themes the book it's is real big on themes like there's a lot of discussions of morality and philosophy um especially thanks to samuel and lee who like to talk about this i feel like any time that you've got two Mm -hmm. twin son characters whose names start with an a and a c yeah oh yeah you're you're being pretty clearly yeah this is very i mean you're the father is named adam like this is a whole big illusion um 
So this is a real good paper to write some, or a real good novel to write some high school papers on. Yeah. He's got an agenda working here. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, so a couple of the big ones, um, fate and choice, big theme. Um, Adam, Aaron, Cal, and Abra all feel the pressure of their family's histories and wonder if they can carve their own paths outside of these legacies. Um, Lee references the story of Cain and Abel and how Chinese Christian scholars found that an essential Hebrew word in the story, um, Timshel, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong could be translated to thou mayest, meaning that mankind is neither condemned um, nor to evil nor intended to attain divine perfection, but kind of allowed to choose their own paths. So it's thou mayest as opposed to thou must or thou will? Like, Something like yeah, that. Yeah. It, 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 it softens it, it, the edges. And it allows for choice. Like sure. you may, but well, you you might not. Right. Um. So again, like when kind of Adam kind of that's what Adam says to Cal in mm-hmm. the in on his deathbed. So it's oh, kind cool. of allowing Cal Him. to move on and have that freedom yeah, of, gets of to choice. be his own person. Yeah, exactly. Instead of being tied to this like family struggle. Cool. Um, but then you know, family is tough. That's another big theme. Mm-hmm. The Trasks are not doing well when it comes to family relationships. Like Adam and his brother and father don't get along. Kathy literally kills her parents, <laughs> shoots her husband. Um, Cal inadvertently sends his brother to die in the war. But for the most part, kids just want their parents' love. Like, this is a big, like, father issues book. It's like, recognize me. I will act out yeah, until please. you see me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but for, uh, so Adam ultimately expresses his love for Cal and frees him to continue forward with the rest of his life in the way he chooses. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a whole biblical allegory going on here. Oh, so sure. you can kind of go into that. Just like your favorite as- Wikipedia summary, Darren Aronofsky's mother. Oh yeah. That sounds like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a book that I read the Wikipedia summary for, summary for, and I'm like, wow, this sounds real stupid. Yeah. This sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and like terrible. Our friend who, like, is a filmmaker person was like, I enjoyed it. And I'm like, it sounds like garbage. (laughs) And Walt was like, maybe the Wikipedia summary cannot convey everything that is intended in film, which is a visual medium. But I was probably wrong. It's garbage. It looks like garbage. (laughs) East of Eden is a real god. Yeah. Um, And one thing I like about it is that it's like a real page turner. So I went into reading the book thinking like, oh, here's a classic novel I've never read. I should Mm -hmm. probably read. Um, I have previously done that with um, like Anna Karenina, which I thought was terrible. That was the same summer, wasn't it? No, it was another summer. Like I used to to be on a track of like, I should read one classic novel every summer and not bang on the table. (laughs) It's for emphasis. Yeah. and, but this one was like really good. I got major sucked into it. So I yeah. can see why it is um, like it was a big bestseller back in the day. Yeah. And I feel like Steinbeck, like uh, I remember being really surprised when I read The Grapes of Wrath finally, like that his writing is really propulsive. And, yeah. Like, he... This is even more propulsive than The Grapes of Wrath. Like yeah. I remember that being feeling slower. Yeah. But I think just even the the amount of like imagery and poetry that he weaves into it but that never it doesn't feel like overindulgent like i mean the discuss in the grapes of wrath he talks about like the guy in the tractors or the machines that are like tearing apart the farms yeah. and it's very like very almost like hallucinogenic or yeah. everything so yeah he's a really compulsive writer he but. is um and this one is the perfect blend of like literary text and soap opera scandal Ooh. i know right um the setting of the Salinas Valley is like a really another character here. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an East Coaster, this is an area of the country I don't know much about. And so I just loved that glimpse into like turn of the century California life. Um, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, and yet, like Kathy is literally the best lady sociopath in all of literature. So come at me, Gone Girl fans. Wow, you are just laying down the gauntlet oh, for oh things my God. today. Yeah, right? I'm making yeah. my hard choices. Although you did actually read Gone Girl and you yeah. were livid. Yeah. As opposed to the Wikipedia summary. Oh, yeah. No, I really read it. And I was like, this mystery is not interesting. Amy has, like, she has no real plan. I cannot conceive of her as an actual evil, in the shoulder. evil villain. 
Yeah, right. And like does not slowly poison people or burn her parents' house down. What's she even or, doing with her life? Yeah, right? <laughs> no, but for real. It's like yeah. they're they're Kathy Ames is like the number one um lady killer. Hey. hey in all of literature. <laughs> so Wink. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing down that gauntlet. Absolutely. Well, oh. um, on that very aggressive note, yeah. let's talk about Back to the Future. Yeah, which <laughs> does not have people murdering each other. I'm sure there's a lot of a lot going on in the background. There are terrorists, though. Oh, yeah. That's like yeah. le- and, legit murder. And Biff Tannen would, would kill somebody if he got the chance, yeah, I'm right. sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure he would be taken advantage of and summarily killed by Cat, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Back to the Future is a 1985 science fiction comedy action adventure delight directed by Robert Zemeckis, which I think actually makes Robert Zemeckis our current most talked about film director on this podcast. Really? Yeah, because he also did uh, Contact. Um, oh. So well, hmm, not I'm the one to... I would have picked. Yeah. So it's two. I did a quick spot check, and I don't think we've talked about any other film directors as much as Robert Zemeckis. Interesting. So, so do you really only have to beat or meet twice. Yeah, essentially. Huh. So get on it, other directors. Yeah. Please take over our subconsciouses. Interesting. And save us from Robert Zemeckis' animatronic reign of terror. Not animatronic. Computer animated. There it is. It's so, that's so weird. Yeah. He's fine. Oh, no, but it's interesting that, like, if you ask me who, you know, who, if we, someone else in this list directed Contact, and, like, which director would it be? I would not be like, oh, it's the guy who directed Back to the Future. Yeah, that's true. But I I really enjoy both movies. Contact actually sits at a really comfortable middle ground of the Robert Zemeckis career path, because Back to the Future is very, like, you know, well-crafted and straightforward and pretty, like, all of the special effects are in service to the story and it's yeah. fun. Uh, and then you get, like, Beowulf and Polar Express where and Mars Needs Bombs where, like, the special effects are the movie and that's it. Yeah. And I feel like Contact is sort of in the middle because then you have her space journey is very special effecty. Which, like, the, um, the when she's going through the wormhole is yeah. fun. But then you're like, oh, you live on a screensaver yep, in exactly. space. That's great. So I feel like you can start to see it happening to Zemeckis. But, oh, no. But Back to the Future was before it all happened. Um, yeah, uh, Back to the Future tells the sto- the timeless story of a charming boy in a life vest and his best friend, a crazy old man who is in over his head with Libyan terrorists. It's for kids or families of all ages, I guess. Um, it is the only reason that anyone to this day still remembers the DeLorean as a car. Aww. Shout out to our neighbor who yeah. has a DeLorean with a gigawatt license plate. Yay. Uh, yeah. uh, we don't know who the neighbor is. We've just seen the car. Yeah, he's living his best life. He really is. Mm-hmm. And there's apparently also in our neighborhood someone who's built a TARDIS. Wow. That's right. That's right. So um, we have a lot of time travel going on here here on the, the south side. It's true. Oh, Waltham, Massachusetts. Such secrets you hold. Um, but yeah, basic synopsis of Back to the Future. Uh, Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly, a kid who just wants to skateboard while hanging onto the back of cars, listen to Huey Lewis in the news, and hook up with his girlfriend while her parents are away. Hashtag 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, he has two super lame parents. Uh, his dad, George, is bullied by his supervisor, Biff, and his mom, Lorraine, is a depressed alcoholic who only married George after hitting him with her car in high school and feeling bad for him. Oh. Oh, see, that's why Kathy had to shoot her husband and leave him. It's true. No pity. No. Move on, girl. (laughs) Um, Unlike most high schoolers, though, Marty also has a genuine best friend mad scientist living on his block, uh, Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, who somehow manages to play genuine affection for a high schooler and not make it seem creepy or out of place. And like... I can't remember why. Do they explain why Marty knows? It's not like, oh, I like I am his lab assistant. Nope. Marty runs, goes by his house on the way to work and blows up a very expensive looking giant speaker and then goes to school and then meets him to see his time machine. Okie doke. So like, you know, just go with it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Doc Brown's got a dog. Yeah, that's That's true. Maybe he's a dog walker. Maybe he walks Einstein. And then he... Yeah, and then he and Doc Brown have gotten to be friends. I bet. Yeah. Head cannon. 
There it is. Um, so Doc Brown has invented a time machine, which he has housed inside of a DeLorean. But when he tries to show it to Marty, the Libyan terrorists who Doc Brown bought the plutonium powering the machine from show up and gun him down, yep. acting as a perfect example of how broad the term kids movie was Yay. in the 1980s and scarring kindergarten Walt oh, for no. years. Yeah, I watched the first third of this movie in an after school program in kindergarten uh-huh. when I was waiting for my parents to pick me up. And I did not see the rest of the movie oh, no. for years. Well, so what part did you end on? Just uh, the Doc part. Brown getting shot up by Lincoln's. Oh, no! <laughs> no, you gotta go back in time. Yeah, no, I was, I gotta go back in time. time. Um, yeah, I was pretty convinced that Christopher Lloyd had died. I was very sad. Um, yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty escapes from this death trap in a death trap of a different sort the time machine uh which whisks him back to november 5th 1955 hey happy anniversary annie and walt 1955 well november 5th oh no that's not our anniversary oh yes it is what what did you think our anniversary was i was gonna say november 11th but i was like no it's no it's 2011 it is it is now 11 5 11 (laughs) No, well, we're... I'm just going to keep going with the synopsis now. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say happy anniversary um, movie version of East of Eden. Oh, well, that too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Because uh, I was like, oh, 1955. That's, that's equally as important as our marriage. <laughs> no, but I was thinking about the year. I'm sorry. I was very caught up with no, that. And then okay. I totally forgot what our actual. I, was I love a... you. I love you so much. I was weaving a beautiful tapestry of words. It's all right. I was very distracting. And it's the tree. I'm telling it is. you. It's taking over our minds. Um, <laughs> so November 5th, 1955, the day that Doc Brown came up with the concept of time travel. Um, the only complication is that through some wacky happenstance involving very weird and creepy voyeuristic overtones, Marty winds up being the one who Lorraine hits with her car, and she instantly develops a massive crush on him because he's not a creepy stalker and is Michael J. Fox instead of Crispin Glover. Right? Everybody so, has a crush on Michael J. Fox. Yeah, there's a lot of verisimilitude in this movie. Yeah. Um Having thrown a wrench into the proper timeline of everything, Marty is at risk of disappearing forever if he doesn't give his dad the confidence he needs to win Lorraine's heart, convince Lorraine that she really shouldn't sleep with her own future son, team up with past Doc Brown to harness the power of a historic lightning strike, and get himself, wait for it, back to the future. Yay! I had a, after seeing the first third of this movie as a kindergartner, I had a 30 minute long, fairly heated argument with my grandfather uh-huh. about the title of this movie because he hated it. Did, was and he like the present? He was like, how present. can you go back to the future? We're in the present, the future. It was a very semantic should, He was like, it should have been back to the present. Yeah. Looking back, it was the root of a lot of pedantry on my part, I think. It was like, oh. it was where like, I love words. Words yeah. mean things. Which I grandfather? Uh, it was grandpa, my dad's Oh, dad. okay. That's yeah. cute. Because I would have been like, I, th- I think like. Um, I don't know his dad's more like. Virginia General Store. Oh, well, yeah, he would have been schools. like, I'm going with yeah, it. He would have been like, whatever. My grandfather yeah. took me to Jurassic Park. But yeah, my other grandfather, the one who I argued, would not take me to Jurassic Park because he knew that a lawyer died in it. And he yeah, was personally offended. in the offended. bathroom. Mm-hmm. He's not uh, But I think, I think Grandbud would also, again, like, would have just been like, I like words. I'm going to argue about this. Oh, yeah. He had a lot yeah. of fun with it. Lawyers, man. Yeah, right. Hashtag lawyers. Um, also in the past is Biff, the bully, uh, or the dad bully, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Biff is just the absolute worst in the best way. He's a very yes. lovable, hateable villain yeah. in the movie. Um, ultimately, um, Marty manages to help George discover his inner strength just in time to fend off Biff's legitimately disturbing attempts to take Lorraine for himself. Yeah. And Hashtag sexual assault. Yeah, seriously. And the two parents dance and kiss non-creepily under the, uh, accompanied by the gentle strains of Marty inventing the song, Johnny Be Good. Hashtag white... Um, appropriation yeah oh very right much privilege so. something yeah. yeah yeah white everything yeah this movie hashtag white yep <laughs> um but yeah marty then harnesses the lightning bolt uh and gets back to the future with the help of past doc brown um just in time for the sequel to happen yay and become a very and, delightful and to change and, out the girlfriend actress well yeah yeah well we'll talk about that for sure oh wow mm-hmm 
uh, in the characters section, which is now. Um, so we got Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox at his absolute most charismatic Aww. and like charmingly overwhelmed. Um, Eric Stoltz was originally cast as Marty what? and they actually shot for five weeks with him playing Marty. And so there's early footage of it. And, That's a long time. Oh yeah. He was deep into it. I forget why he ended up dropping, but you watch the footage. That's and like it, basically you could have done the whole movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was. There was a lot, um, and you watch the footage, and like you can really, really tell what the difference is. Like yeah. he's he's. I mean, he's Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz is fine, mm-hmm. but there's nowhere near as much like charisma in the character. Which, which one is Eric Stoltz? Um, he was in Mask under a lot of makeup and stuff. Oh. Um, he yeah, he did a bunch of other stuff. I forget okay. Why. Well, yeah, um, he's, he's he's no fine. Michael J. Fox. Exactly. Let me tell you that. And, he, and this, I mean, this certainly helped their careers diverge but uh but yeah it's immediately apparent how much michael j fox brings to the movie he i think was in um oh that pulp fiction he was the guy who stabs what's her name in the heart oh that's right he was the drug dealer yeah there we go yeah um so yeah uh that's marty and we got christopher lloyd playing doc brown stepping into the mad scientist shoes that he was always meant oh, to wear totally um and has worn forever since um crispin glover as george mcfly because if you need to cast a creepy weirdo wuss guy you only want the best um leah thompson as lorraine mcfly who i think actually brings a real heart and depth to a character whose main job is to make uncomfortably forward advances on her own future side yeah because like she has no idea Mm-mm. and like i think there's a, yeah she brings a lot of charm to a role that is like very like sexually energized yeah and it's a lot of tension i mean the movie has a lot of tension between like the good sheltered 50s girl yeah. who like then it turns out she drinks and she yeah has hooked up before yeah like, so so like she she gets to ride that line in a fun way and so for a character who's essentially defined by her sexuality, yeah. I think she manages to ground it and yeah. make her a fun human. Oh, totally. Um, Biff Tannen, played by Thomas Elf, F. Wilson in the – I almost said Thomas Elf Wilson. <laughs> he is an Christmas elf. special. He's a giant elf. Uh, he is. Um, in the kind of career-defining to the extreme performance that is really both very in- – indelible and unforgettable and also for him uh the source of some stress yeah. and a lot of regret he has a whole song about being typecast as Beth. i mean the song is hilarious it is uh, he's a fun like he has come back around to embracing the fact that he will always be biff for yeah a lot of people and like he's a stand-up comic and he's made a whole act about it um but you can tell like there's some regret there i think yeah because it's got to be weird to be like so deeply tied to a role even though you know that people tie you to it because they just love it like it's something that brings so much joy to people Mm -hmm. but But part of that joy is you getting covered in manure yeah oh totally and also (laughs) part of that is means you never get to be any other character exactly which is too bad for a performer yeah especially for movies with a bunch of young actors yeah if you have a breakout role when you're 20 it's very hard to have a career afterwards oh totally um, we have uh, Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, played by Claudia Wells in the first movie. Uh, she got replaced by Elizabeth Shue in the sequels, which I was going to make a joke about, but then I looked it up on Wikipedia and she dropped out because her mom had cancer. Oh, no. And so she Claudia took time Wells. to take care of her mom. Good for you. Um, yeah, and I think she's having, she's she's starting to do, come back to acting in a oh, later good. career. So she's doing all right. But Jennifer Shue did great oh, as well. Oh, and Jennifer Shue is delightful. Yeah, Elizabeth Shue is delightful. Yeah. Like, so. I, you know, both of you, I love you. You should be in a TV show together yeah oh my gosh that'd be so funny yeah, and so the, meta the jennifers the jennifers um and then there's goldie wilson uh played by donald full love he is the 1950s bus boy and future mayor of hill valley who i always just like a lot and remember a lot mm. even though he's in like maybe two scenes um maybe because he also hints at a lot of the movie's missed opportunities with regards to race because he's Pretty much the only character other than Marvin Berry of color True. who gets any lines and oh, any yeah. character definition. I would kind of love to see like almost like a play version of Back to the Future, but it's told by like the non-white people in town oh, and like what they're dealing with while all these bananas antics are happening yeah because the movie i mean as much it has fun with a lot of the sexual mores of the 50s um and steers into some of them as well like it's you know it's still pretty objectifying of lorraine but it 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 plays around with that whereas it does not even touch the racial politics the 1950s and when it does it gets sort of uncomfortable yeah the band at the at the the Homecoming prom, dance yeah. is like a bunch of big, scary black guys who like threaten Biff's henchmen and like. Which is, you, you know, know, they need to be threatened. Yeah. Well, they do. But yeah, yeah it's very like it is uh, 
the movie plays them as types. And yeah, the types and, are entirely based on their race. Um, so. And like, I don't think I would want like Robert Zemeckis to be like, okay, let's take this movie and like deeply examine race. It's like, yeah. that's not the He's conversation. He's pretty clearly not he the person to trust with this. Yeah. But it's like, it is, it is kind of too bad. Yeah, exactly. It is a, it's a missed opportunity, but it's an opportunity that I wouldn't necessarily have wanted them to take yeah. as well. Um, it just sticks out. I think watching the movie now, mm-hmm. um, moving into the themes and the fun stuff, um, time travel delightfulness. Um, this movie's logic around time travel is very straightforward, clearly defined and consistent. It lays its rules out and then sticks to them. It has a lot of fun with the tropes of sci-fi and fantasy and only then builds on that fun in the next two installments. Yeah. Um, the second one especially, I think, does some of the most like sleight of hand work with the timeline and, you know, doesn't always work, but it no, but stays it, fairly consistent yeah. to its own rules. And it has fun kind of folding in and out on itself. Exactly. Um, especially with regards to the city, Hill Valley, where this all takes yeah. place. You get to see Hill Valley in 1980s, in 1950s. In the second movie, you get to see it in now, like 2017. Yeah. Um, and it always has these touchstones. You get to see how the Twin Pines mall happens like it plays around a lot with the way that uh the history of this city um affects the characters in it um the movie's basically a sex farce like we talked about uh re it as a non-kindergartner uh it is pretty striking just how much it plays like a really sort of old door slamming farce um you know comedic machinery a lot of characters chasing each other around and keeping a light but deft touch um as it pokes fun at people's sexual proclivities yeah like i mean i I remember watching this as a kindergartner like it was great and like there was the line about like marty's like where'd my pants go Mm -hmm. and she and lorraine's like oh they're right over there calvin and she's and he's like why are you calling me calvin and it's like that's what's in your underwear and it's like when i was a kid i like i didn't even really question that and now i'm like Oh, girl, you like, you took off his pants. Wow. Yeah, you got real in there. Yeah. It's very like, it manages to be a like sexlessly sexy. Yeah. Because like, you can watch it as a kid and be like, oh, she wants to kiss her son. That's so gross. But yeah. Then or you, just like awkward. Yeah. But then like you watch it now and it's like, oh, she wants to do more than that. With yeah. Her son, right. It's really awkward. Yeah. And gross. Um, so yeah, it manages to really skirt and, that line. And I think like you said there, it's due largely to the cast that yeah. this is so warm and non creepy. Yeah. Even like Crispin Glover is like. He's more awkward than George is spying on Lorraine in her bedroom and she gets changed while uh, while he's in the tree and that's what makes him fall out. And oh no, she doesn't hit him with a car. He just gets hit by a car. Um, (laughs) Retcon. Um, But but yeah, it like, it, while having him be that sort of creepy figure, um, I think he exudes a lot of vulnerability and warmth and everybody around him does in a way that somehow manages to pull it off without him feeling like terrible. Yeah, and I think, like, the movie is, like, Marty wants his parents to get together. Mm -hmm. So the movie is, like, on his side to get them together. So you're, like, you know that these people are meant to be together. And then it ends up making them even happier because they're together. And strong. Yeah, and seeing the best of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, And I think also helping to overlook some of the rougher patches is nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Uh, My favorite thing about this movie. Um it's kind of brilliant, um, or at least it's evolved into this weird nostalgia machine because you get a double whammy of 1950s nostalgia, which yeah. the movie really loves, and now 1980s nostalgia because it's as, it's as much a period piece for the 80s as it was for the 50s. Yeah. Um, this movie was everywhere when we were growing up, especially if you had a Pizza Hut near you. Why? Um, they had all sorts of promotional stuff. Oh, going on. I, we didn't have a Pizza Hut near us. Oh man, Pizza Hut we were the best. Man, we had Papaginos. Ha- okay. Shout out to New England. Personal pan pizzas, man, the greatest. Oh. Um, yeah, oh, maybe second only to Nickelodeon in the number of promotions that Back to the Future did with Pizza Hut. Man, um, yeah, it, they were up there. Um, but it's also a well-crafted and charming enough movie to help the audience forgive a lot of the rougher stuff when you go back and rewatch it because of that. 
nostalgia. Yeah. You get to rewatch it and forgive it for a lot because it is at its core really well made. And oh, yeah. All of the performers are so in it and, and the writing is fun. You're living in a fantasy world. Yeah. It's like you're not like going back into real 50s life. You're going back into fantasy 50s life. Right. And it's even like you're not going back to real 80s life because oh, it was yeah. already such an inflated thing. Yeah. And yeah, I guess like Marty again, like having a mad scientist best friend, right. getting the skateboard to ride on the back of a truck to school and blow up a speaker. Yeah. Like, like he winds up getting like a big yellow Jeep at the end of the movie because his family is rich now. And yeah. It's just like, oh, this is the extreme version of everything. Oh, you might yeah. Think. Um, but yeah, so it, it helps forgive a lot and really helps appreciate just how solid the movie is yeah. as a piece of craft. Um, so yeah, those are two, uh, I would say, movies on an equal plane by two artists who have achieved similar levels of success. Yeah, no, it's true. John Steinbeck and Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, well, I mean, if you ask people, do you know Back to the Future, they're going to say yes. That's true. If you you and ask them about East of Eden, they'd probably say yes. Probably. But like with a question mark at the end, they'd be like, yes. Yes. And, you know, Steinbeck did also get super into special effects at the end of his career. He did. Well, that's really be- tarnished his legacy. Because he had that Benny Hill record that came out with <laughs> all of his true. books. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah, the only way you could read The Pearl in its first release was to hire a band to come and perform it to you. Yeah. Because it was all one big verse poem. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's not even, in, there are no words. Oh, no. You just no. have to experience it through the sound of music and the vibrations that you feel through, the, through your floor. Yeah. Also, it's ska so wow that's a real early ska he's ahead of his time good job john steinbeck (laughs) oh annie let's talk about thematic crossovers yeah where do these two hang out i think um really difficult relationships with your parents Mm -hmm. is actually a big theme here um you know complicated yeah very complicated family dynamics Mm -hmm. like marty's family not super happy the Trask's not super happy. Yeah. Um, they want their parents' approval. They want their parents to do better. To not make out with them. To not make out with them. To like really just keep it in their pants. <laughs> just please. I'll tell you where else these two works. Where? Right now. California. Yeah. This like, is a, like they're you're both talking about like valley. They are both in the valley. Yeah. They both got valleys, and both of the valleys play a very large part in yeah. creating the world. Yeah. That the they settings live in. are very much characters in mm-hmm. both of these. Yeah. Which I feel like is a cliche at some point, like to say, but it's so true for both of these. Pieces, oh, yeah. I like, think we haven't talked about setting as much as we have. Um, in a lot of other oh yeah episodes. yeah no yeah. I feel like it's a no it's a general like literary theory cliche, oh yeah not of this podcast okay cliche. we don't have cliches no we're we always keeping insects. it fresh although Google always knows Google always knows <laughs> Walt was everything. telling me earlier that Google knows everything about me and is not surprised by anything I do Google knows you better than you know yourself no prove them wrong with this podcast yeah <laughs> by telling me how this crossover actually happens um. So this is another slightly cheaty one. Why? Because we've, you know, we've put the, this is the easy, this is another easy mode one because there's time travel. Well, there is literal time travel involved and they're both in California. Exactly. So I think it ends up being like, I mean, I don't want to extend it into Back to the Future Part 3, but I feel like Mm -hmm. that is like the literal crossover. That is true. Because they like, they go back into, I think I said it's earlier in the Wild West, but Mm -hmm. like I would imagine that, so Marty... You know, gets the the lightning bolt. He's very excited to be heading home. But um, he realizes he has been transported back to, like, the 1910s-ish. Sure. But he he and Doc Brown didn't realize that they miscalculated. Oh, no. The lightning bolt struck, hit Uh perfectly, but it was too strong. Oh, no, too much lightning. Too much lightning. It sent the entire town back. Oh, no. Yeah, so now we've got... Why did we connect all those buildings to the clock tower (laughs) using copper wire? (laughs) I mean, you've got to experiment. Science is all about experimentation. That's true. Trial and error. Yeah, fail and fail better next Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, and I think that, like, yeah, they get transported back to the time when the town was not Hill Valley, but Salinas Valley. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, do you think that there is a whole time mishmash with the present Hepburn brought into it? Or, I mean, it depends on how you picture time. Like, are things connected across timelines? Yeah, well, that's the thing. So in general time relativity theory, Mm -hmm. it's like everything is already happening and is already happening all at once. That's true. So it's like like the 
shout multi- out to multiverse. shout out to friend of the podcast katie for her time travel oh, yeah? discussions and writing group uh it's like a youtube video uh-huh. where it's like everything's already there and you're watching it from the beginning to the end but that doesn't mean the end of the video doesn't exist yet like That's it's already true. there you just haven't gotten there yet yeah so yeah so i like the lightning bolt bringing the whole town like what is the thing that drives this multi-timeline synchronicity that like gets makes everything start happening all on top of itself I feel like we need one step further Can you, than just big lightning bolt. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. That would make. Yeah, that would make like an even bigger like like the there's enough power from the lightning that it's making the time ta- the the town vanish, mm-hmm. and then there's some huge astronomical metaphysical force that connects all of the hill valleys and Selena's valleys through all the timelines, um, yep. or at least like two or three like this ones. like the supermoon or something. Yeah, or. Um, a mother's love. Uh huh. <laughs> Cat finally tells her kid she loves him. No, no, it's no, probably not. That's she, garbage. She wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's, oh, <laughs> oh, that's nothing. Sorry. Man, happy it's not anniversary. Garbage. No, <laughs> I love you. Um, but yeah, I think, um, or you know, the characters in the 1980s just fall into a wormhole or something. Um. Yeah. You know. I think. Um, well, you know, because he's trying to get back to the 1950s, so maybe instead of going there, he pulls them back. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, yeah. he would have had it on his little dashboard. And everything got destabilized because he blew up that big speaker at the beginning. Yeah. That's true. That's why you you turn your volume down from 11. That's true. Do not let it go to 11. You can't let it go to 11. <laughs> okay, so how do these people all start interacting? Um, at what point during East of Eden do you think they land? So I think they're they're landing, like... Um, Aaron and Cal are, are like young adults, okay. but before they like know about their mom, basically. Oh yeah. So paths are gonna cross. Nobody's selling beans yet. No, it doesn't oh. amount to a hill of beans. No. <laughs> they don't have a hill valley of beans. No, I oh. <laughs> Um Okay, well, um, this is just like kind of on the fringes, but I feel like Goldie Wilson uh-huh. gets time traveled back. Sure. This um, Selena's Valley is filled, filled with a lot of uh, people who are frequenting Kathy's brothel. They're, For sure. They're some, some real... They're into stuff. Into stuff. And they've got Kathy holding it over their heads. Okay. Goldie Wilson, he's not about that. Oh. He is not going to get drawn into but that he is circle. A political operator. But he is a political operator. So he is the only one who does not have anything to blackmail him on. Ah. Goldie Wilson becomes the first black mayor of the United States in yeah. Salinas Valley. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, yeah, everything's getting crazy. <laughs> and he's, and he's anyway. young. He's excited. He's like, you know what? This is this, this is the West. Yeah. I can... Um, Forge a new life here. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. And I think, obviously, I think Biff and Kat wind up going into business together. Um, I think... I think... Um, I think Kat, Biff thinks that they're Kat. equal partners. Yeah. Kat Ooh, does not Kathy? agree. Kathy, yes. Yeah. Um, I think... I think Kathy is using Biff. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. he's like the muscle outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the enforcer. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, he gets but covered in But she's going to kill him at, at some, some point. point. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, without a doubt, she's going to kill yeah. him at some <laughs> point. Biff is on a shortened yep. time frame. Yeah. Uh, so I think, like, how about, I mean, I guess we can segue a little bit into some games. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's, it's all about situation. interacting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, how about kiss your faces? Hey, we got all humans in this Oh, world. and adult humans. Yeah, adult humans of age, only some of whom are related to others. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think, um, like I really want to give, um, what's it, uh, Lorraine McFly mm-hmm. some, some good times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think maybe she, I feel like she maybe makes friends with some of the women working with Kathy. Yeah, because she's, I can see her being into some weird stuff too. It's true. I think she's got some, a lot of suppressed stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, right. I don't think that she goes to work for Kathy. No, I think, I think she's she just like real things. interested. Yeah. And so she learns some things. And then uh, who's a good brother for her? Um, I mean, I feel like Cal. Yeah. You know what? She'd be going all over him. She'd be, yeah. She'd, she'd be, be like, I'm Cal. not interested in this guy who's going to be an Episcopal priest. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's got the, he's got the bad boy vibe of Vif, yeah. w- w- without the like hyper aggression. Oh, yeah. Like he's a good guy inside. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's very She can save him. Li- yeah, oh exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I mean she he's James Dean. Yeah. That's he's true. he's 1950s heartthrob. <sighs> Swoon. Indeed. Uh how about George? Oh, George. <laughs> it's Crispin Glover. I know. 
do we like Kristen Christmas Glover? I yeah. thought he was kind of a I thought he was kind of a weirdo. Oh, he's a total weirdo. Yeah, right. But he and to my knowledge <laughs> is a fairly harmless he's like an artsy weirdo okay. and not a like creeper weirdo. I don't know of anything that disproves that. I would also be 100% not surprised if it turned out he was a creepy weirdo. Yeah. Um, um okay, so George um he ends up being um like a big sci-fi writer. Yeah, that's true. Um, Based on his experiences with Faith, Mother yeah. McFly, Darth so he's, Vader. Um, he's creative. Um, sensitive. He's sensitive, forward thinker. I feel like I could see him and Aaron together. Yeah, I'm I was, gonna, I was yeah, thinking I'm going to divert from George's uh, heterosexual. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, because I think he could totally be bi. And I yeah. think Aaron, you know, could as well. Yeah, and I think Aaron, well, oh yeah, I mean, I think Aaron... Is is not necessarily like I don't know. I feel like you're never really feeling the the Aaron Abra yeah. chemistry. So there's I not feel a lot like, of heat there. Yeah, I I think maybe there could be some heat with George and and um and so tender. Yeah. So does that mean that Marty doesn't exist in this crossover? <laughs> no, Marty exists. <laughs> We're just it's all the times all together. Oh, that's true. Everything comes. Everything's, everything's happened all, at all once. Yeah, exactly. All of this has happened before. All of it will happen again. Yep. Marty we is, have to go back. Marty is living and disappearing all at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, how about Marty? He's just hanging out, I guess. Who's he friends with? Um, I feel like Marty would actually be real good friends with um, Samuel and Lee because he has this thing uh, for hanging out with dudes who are not, like, high schoolers. Who, don't, who shouldn't be hanging out <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, but I feel like he would, like have some like philosophical discussions with them he would be like hey guys let's just jam yeah, like he would be like on out. his guitar hey and, do you guys know what a skateboard is yeah right whoosh yeah um, none of the roads yeah, are paved yet but we're gonna make this happen exactly so yeah i think they would just be hanging out and talking i think doc brown would love that too talking oh, yeah. about time travel and yeah. the philosophical implications of yeah helping mm-hmm. find a better way to sell beans yeah that's true i'm really fixating on these y- beans you are you know, I just like it. And then that also does mean that Doc Brown comes into play during the course of World War One. So, uh-huh. you know, maybe there's some super weapons getting designed. Oh, wow. so maybe it's actually Wonder Woman. That's true. He is one. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd is Wonder Woman. Yep. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd and Gal Gadot. That's it's basically They're the basically same person. Twins. I've never seen them in the same room at the same time oh, for a good number of reasons. Right. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and then I feel like Battle Dome. I mean, Cat and everybody. Yeah. Um. I I think Cat's gonna try and harness the power of time for her own purposes. Yeah, she's probably coming after Doc Brown. She's coming right after Doc Brown. Mm-hmm. Um. And like roping Biff into that. Yep. Um. So yeah, I think they have to save Doc Brown. Yeah, I mean, they always have to save Doc Brown. Oh, true. They definitely have to save Doc Brown here. Um, so yeah, maybe they all need to team up. Um, and in doing so, Cal and Aaron sort of put their beef on hold. Yeah. You know, Adam recognizes the need to join the fight. Yeah. You know, everybody gets a little more active. And yeah. A little oh, less, exactly. A little less on we. Oh, yeah. A little, little less of the sad. Punchy. Yeah, and maybe. Um, Maybe like uh, Lorraine and George, and you know, see like, oh wow, I'm gonna be a better parent mm-hmm. when I grow up, and they don't end up married anyway. <laughs> but they just they end up as better but, parents outside yeah. of each other. Well, no, further on in this multiverse timeline, that's happening all at once. That's true. That is true. So They're some, infinite versions of all of them. Yeah, everything is folding in on itself. <laughs> it's time travel so really, origami. They are all best buddies, and they are all killing each other in the battle dome. Always, forever. And they're all kissing their faces, which seems weirdly consistent with both works yeah. that we're discussing. Oh, totally. A lot of weird face kissing. Yeah. Just, man, unification of all kinds happening exactly. in this crossover. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, for more uh, singular timeline media uh, yes. along the lines of these, Annie, what should people who want to want more stuff like East of Eden check out? Um, so for people who are really into East of Eden, you should check out the other Steinbeck mm-hmm. books. Um like the Grapes of Wrath and of Mice and Men, yeah. um, the, both of which offer similar expansive and emotional looks at life in the early 1920s California landscape. Um, of Mice and Men made me cry and throw the book across the room in eighth grade. Uh, I got so emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Like I th- I cried and threw it across the room. And then like five minutes later, I like went over and picked up the book. And I was like, no, this is how it had to happen. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> book. And if you can find a band to play it for you, the Pearl yeah, is very even, good too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's there's all those like little hip indie bands. It's who true. Just play the pearl. Everybody's got a horn section now. Just for, just what that ska demands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, for a more southern take on family morality and self destruction, try Faulkner. Oh yeah. Absalom, yeah. Absalom about the Sutpen family's rise and fall also has uh, biblical inspiration. So That's probably is the best. Good. Yeah, it's a real good. Very, probably the best connection to East of Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sound of the Fury is less page turny than East of Eden, but it's just beautifully constructed and deeply heartbreaking yeah personal I, save yeah i would also say uh go down moses is a very i have not read that read. one yeah it's That's very it's another family you know linked story biblical inspiration yeah it's more like linked short stories mm. but they all have a secret that is revealed yeah um yeah the secret mom who's murder. Yeah, Faulkner's <laughs> very everybody. big on characters caught in the legacy of their families, but yeah. not as big on people releasing each other from Yeah, some oh no, it's legacy. just you're all trapped forever. Yeah. Because they're also in trapped in the South too. So, yeah. you know, it has a little more of a hold on them than California. <laughs> yeah, that's true. California is like where you go. Yeah, it's where you're looking to the future. Yeah, Mississippi is like where you're from. Yeah. Um, but we love you, Faulkner. And we're generating so many high school English papers. Yeah, this. seriously. We're yeah, good at if, this. You, if, we, if anyone wants to write a high school English paper comparing a classic work of literature to um, Back to the Future, like we will, we'll give you something for it. Yeah. You can send it to us exactly, and then you, and then a check for all the money. No, no, let's take these kids for all they're worth. <laughs> oh, I thought you said we were going to give them all the money. Oh, no. God, no. Oh, okay. We're giving them our ideas. Yeah, that's true. This is the new Spark Notes. (laughs) Welcome to the gig economy, kids. (laughs) Yep. Make it work. Mm -hmm. Uh, For more uh, page-turny classics, we have The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, which we have previously crossed over with The Simpsons. As was foretold. Uh, Yeah. Um, But yeah, super fun and interesting and feelsy and Mm -hmm. great, great writing. Um, there's Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston about a young black woman coming to terms with life and God in early 20th century Florida. It has that great sense of setting, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, it's another multi-generational family story set against a dynamic setting, in this case, Columbia. Um, and for more contemporary fiction about family and faith and choice, um, the God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy about fraternal twins in India is possibly one of the best written novels of the latest last 50 years. Mm. Um, Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison, which also features a lot of biblical allusion. Um, Tell the Wolves I'm Home by Carol Rifke Brunt. Such a good title. Yeah, right. Um, about a young girl whose beloved uncle is dying of AIDS in the 1980s. And one I just recently read, um, an, ar- an Artist of the Floating World by Kazuo Ishiguro, about an artist in post-World War II Japan who has to come to terms with his role in wartime propaganda. Ooh, cool. Friend yeah, of the podcast, Kazuo Ishiguro. Yeah, because like, um, we talked about Remains of the Day, and like reading this, I'm like, oh, this is so much like Remains of the Day, but it's like on the other side of the war. Yeah. And, uh, like, Is this the one that he won the Pulitzer for? Or not the Pulitzer, the, the Nobel... Book- the- didn't he win a big prize recently? He recently won, I think, the Nobel Prize. Nobel but prize. I think you just That's win it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Body, yeah. Um, but I feel like the artist of the an artist of the floating world is like, yeah, it's like the remains of the day issues of like how complicit are you, mm. um, and like what things do you kind of hold in in esteem. Um, but I loved getting that look of uh, post war Japan, and like it reminded me a lot of. The um the wind ri- the wind rises the Miyazaki oh, yeah. movie um mm-hmm. and like now I'm like oh I want a Miyazaki movie of artists of the floating world oh don't stop yet Miyazaki I know You've right got more work to just do. keep all keep all those movies coming mm-hmm. um and speaking of keeping those movies coming yeah. um how about some Back to the Future recommendations sure thing. well if you like Back mm-hmm. to the Future why not keep that series coming yeah uh, by watching parts two and three um they are delightful uh I think part two may be my favorite of the series just because it's so it goes so big and so crazy mm-hmm. and it really takes all of the ideas of the first movie and blows them up um it gets much less character based and much more like wibbly wobbly timey wimey yeah um, but in a very fun way and it completely predicts trump um, oh it's so sad via biff and and the cubs winning the world series that's true it totally called it it's, yeah it um, was it was like a voice screaming into the future warning us <laughs> it's true um and then part three is really charming i find yeah. it's in the wild west it is nowhere near as good as the other two but it's just it's a delight it's fun yeah um, and it and it inspired the cartoon series oh that's spin-off. right the yeah. back to the future 
favorite cartoon series. Um, hey, speaking of the Back to the of Back to the Future and cartoon series, another thing to check out would be Rick and Morty. Um, oh, yes, true. This is maybe the most the most direct current proxy to Back to the Future because it's a cartoon show that takes very literally the idea of old crazy scientist and teenage sidekick venturing through the universe, but it takes it to the extreme of what kind of fractured damage relationship would need to be had in order for that to happen. Um, it's a sh- it's by Dan Harmon. Uh, it is a show that has uh, a similar vibe to community if you like it, but is much willing to be much more willing to be much, much darker. Um, mm-hmm. It has alternately uh, a, huge sense of fatalism and anger and cynicism that lets moments of heart and meaning shine through uh in ways that are very moving but um it's never i think it is as a show even three seasons in still trying to figure out where on the optimism spectrum it falls because uh rick the character who's basically christopher lloyd is just a total monster person and the show is still kind of figuring out whether he's the protagonist of the series or not um some portions of its fan base have already decided that he is and that's why it has a super toxic fan base because they take him seriously but uh as a show it's really ambitious it is if you can put up with the crushing nihilism of some of it and with its attempts, I think, to sometimes be a little too cool for school. Uh, it is really smart and has some really lovely ideas in it. And it's very, very funny. Um, but yeah, you've got to have a good high bar for cynicism. Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has a very low bar of cynicism because Aww. there is none. And it's just be excellent to each other. It's just be excellent to each other with and, Keanu Reeves uh, and Alex Winter and George Carlin. Um, it's great. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, it is also, I think, one of it's the other movie from the 80s to have a surprisingly consistent and thorough understanding of its own time travel rules. Yeah. Um, everything in Bill and Ted follows the rules that it lays out. And it has a lot of fun with it because it's just two guitar playing airheads at the heart of it. Um, oh, it's so great. Um to go to the other end of the time travel sci-fi spectrum, you can check out Primer, um, an indie movie from about, I guess, 10 years ago now, um, about two guys who build a time machine. And then the movie proceeds to loop back on itself over and over and over again in more and more complicated and weird ways to the point of almost incomprehensibility but that's also part of the point is that uh these characters kind of lose themselves in the paradox of time travel uh it's really cool and was made on a super low budget but manages to be very impressive despite that um for something sort of in the middle i would say check out looper starring joseph gordon levitt as young bruce willis um and bruce willis as Mm -hmm. Old Bruce Willis. Um, it is a. Uh, it's by uh, Ryan Johnson, who's directing the new Star Wars movie. So oh, you nice. can stay very current. Yeah, be um, be hip like all the kids. Yeah, and I would say it is a serious movie that is also willing to be goofy in its treatment of time travel, uh, and it's just a lot of fun as like a sort of noir thriller, uh, but with time travel. Um, there's Spin City, the sitcom that was Michael J. Fox's sort of final big project before he stepped out of the spotlight yeah. because of his Parkinson's disease. And uh, it acts as a really, really great reminder of just how much natural charisma and charm he has as a performer. Um, on the opposite end of his career, there's Family Ties, uh, which I have not actually watched much of, so I can't hugely recommend. But he played Alex P. Keaton and was sort of that was kind of what made him largely because he's yeah. a super charismatic guy. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like to play a young Republican and be super charismatic like yeah good job and to have you be the character that people remember fondly from that show yeah that matters michael j fox you are winning Mm -hmm. um for the christopher lloyd side of the coin you can check out taxi oh so good what mm -hmm. does a yellow light mean oh and uh especially the scene where is it that his father dies (gasps) oh so sad oh my god i didn't watch a lot of taxi but i remember you told me about that episode and i watched it just on youtube and it's heartbreaking yeah like it's so sweet and sad and yeah yeah, just like a really lovely episode of television. And mm-hmm. he just like he had so many great wacky moments on that yeah. show. Just as a total burnout. Yeah. Um, and then Clue, which we've already talked about. Oh, yeah. I for... forgot he was in Clue. He is. He that's is a great not, cast. He is definitely not the best part of Clue. But like. But he's a great part and like of that, a great there cast. There are a lot of great parts oh in Clue. Gosh. And Madeline Kahn is the best part of, of Clue. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
for more 1980s movies that are greatly assisted by he- helping heaps of nostalgia, Ghostbusters. And like weird movies that were marketed to kids but yeah. aren't exactly kids movies. Right. Comedy sci-fi was a for mm-hmm. comedy sci-fi for adults and kids was a weird genre for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it has a much looser vibe than Back to the Future, much more improvisational. Um, but uh, it's very fun. And, uh, and hey, while we're talking about things that are loose and improvisational, but also pretty fun, um, if you have a down, if you have any downtime and are just looking for something stupid, why not watch Hot Tub Time Machine? The first movie, not the second movie. Just Aww. don't watch the second movie. Um, Hot Tub Time Machine, I've seen it. It's fine. It's fun. It has some good performances in it. And it has an incredibly, incredibly good running gag revolving around Crispin Glover. Uh, he plays a bellboy at the hotel that has the eponymous hot tub time machine in it and he only has one arm and when they go back to the past he has two and the rest of the movie is constantly revolving around this question of how he lost his arm and Aww. and when they're going to see it and and all of the characters are so excited to see it when it happens um they just keep looking for chances does and so he get hit a, by a car is that how it happens he does not Aww. it uh it finds a fun solution to it but yeah it's a uh it's I'm not going to say it's a good movie, but it's got fun people in it. If you really like time travel comedies, go for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Um, Go check it out. Can I add one more recommendation that I thought of while we're doing this? Um, Pleasantville. Oh, yeah. For more 1950s nostalgia. Yeah, like that is like not even going back to real 1950s, but like very much 1950s nostalgia. Yeah. Like, but people being brought from the the present time absolutely um, and that, that's got some great performances in it yeah too. like um jeff daniels oh, and william h macy <gasps> yeah and uh reese witherspoon yeah it's great yeah uh, so yeah check out pleasantville as well um but before you do that uh listen to the end of our podcast which is yeah. now um <laughs> and if people want more crossover appeal content where can they find us they can find all of our crossover appeal content including all of these recommendations at crossover appeal podcast.tumblr.com yeah and you can email us uh advice on escaping the mental thrall of this giant christmas tree that's looming above yeah. us at crossover appeal podcast at gmail.com um, you can join our Facebook community at uh, Crossover Appeal Podcast and tell us um, how you would make money on beans in World War One. Exactly. Um, you can send us your favorite Benny Hill Yakety Sax gifts <laughs> yep. and YouTube clips to on Twitter at Crossover Appeal. Yep. And most importantly, you can subscribe and rate us. Yeah. Did I? I'm sorry. I you ju- you, yeah, you jumped in you on jumped mine. On. Do you want to take it? Yeah, you should subscribe and rate things. On where? On iTunes. Yay! Yeah, because that'll tell the other people that we're good. And maybe if you like us, then they will too. Yeah, it's true. And also, we don't have any advertisers. So you don't have to sit through us talking about how you should put your mail in in your house or something. (laughs) Put your mail in your house. (laughs) You know, the one where... Oh, yeah, no, I know. I know. It's not, yeah. Yeah, stuff your mail under your mattress that you got (laughs) from an underwear company. Yeah. There we go. Potential sponsors, we're ready. (laughs) We're real good at this. Oh, but until we get that approach, uh, we're going to wrap it up for the evening. We will see you back here in two weeks. Uh, And for the meantime, this has been Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. I'm Annie Cardi. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. 